I'm Tom Morello, host of Maximum Firepower. A weekly podcast focusing on the music, the moments, and the movements that have shaped my worldview and left an indelible mark on me as an artist and activist. Come correct with Maximum Firepower. For you and me. This is Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. I'm Tom Morello. Welcome to Maximum Firepower. My guest is the great Kay Flay, my good friend Christine. How are you today, Christine? I'm doing great. I'm so happy to be here. It yeah. really is always a pleasure to talk to you. And I can't say that about most people. <laughs> well, I, well, I appreciate that. Uh, Christine and I have, Kay Flay and I have worked together on songs on my record, songs on her record. And she is also, we also have the 847 in common, Northern uh, Chicago Suburbanites. Uh, it's just always lovely speaking with you. But today we're going to do something very specific. Uh, during this round of Maximum Firepower shows, we're doing top 10 lists. And I uh, reached out to Christine and said, what would you like to talk about? And she said, maybe perhaps 10 best cities to rock in. And so we're going to discuss her top five and my top five favorite cities in which to rock. And I think we get the ball rolling. Christine, take us to your first city of rock wonder. Okay. My first city of rock wonder, which incidentally is also a city of rock wonder far outside of my own experience, but in terms of rock history, mm. is going to be Manchester, England. Manchester is a wild city. There's a lot of energy and there's a lot of potential in the crowd. And my last show in Manchester was incredibly memorable. Uh, because I was having a horrible, horrible day for personal reasons in my romantic life. I was having mm. a very bad day. Let's just leave it mm. at that. Mm. I was like, oh, my God, how am I ever going to play this show? You know, it's just whatever. Now, my music, I toe the line between music where that could have a pit at the show. Now, you have music that definitely has, has lots of pits. Yes, yes. Anyway. Played Manchester. We played a small venue. We were doing like a little packed show at this place called Gorilla. And I like got on stage and just immediately could tell it was going to be one of the best shows of my life. Like the crowd was just brimming with, with this energy and like giving me so much and then receiving it, like the giving and the receiving was insane. And basically during my song Black Wave, a giant pit opened up, but a peaceful pit. You know, like when, it was like peaceful, but but energetic. Like it wasn't yeah. scary. It wasn't a scary yeah. pit. And yeah. like everyone was just like going at it and like, but helping each other in this beautiful way. And like just giving me, you know, when you're performing and you just, you're so depleted for whatever reason. And the, and the crowd gives something to you to, that, yeah. that restores you. Yes. That's, that's Manchester. Oh, that's fantastic! In the in the in the uh, famous words of those poets, ki "Kiss you drive us wild, we'll drive you crazy." That's <laughs> My first city may may not come as a surprise. It's New York City, the city in which I was born, and the city in which I've had some of my greatest rock moments. Now, New York City as a rock place first came into my mind when I saw the Led Zeppelin movie, The Song Remains the Same, where my favorite band was playing in Madison Square Garden, which, you know, sort of the storied venue. So the idea is like, one day as an aspiring rocker, will you ever get to play on that stage where Led Zeppelin played and where so many, you know, every great band that can sell 18,000 tickets in New York right. City has ever ever played before, right? Um, and so I first got to play there with Audio Slave, which was awesome. And it was just to stand there and to look in sort of the field 
that feel that room. But then I got to play there with Bruce Springsteen. Then I got to play there with Pete Seeger. And there's so many like sort of times in that room where I've had peak moments of artistry and excitement connecting with my initial love of rock and roll. However, New York City is more than that. From playing at Madison Square Garden to playing at Occupy Wall Street felt like a real like sort of nice bookend for me. Also, the first Rage Against the Machine show in New York City was a place called Wetlands, which was, you know, it's a venue, maybe about 75 people and one of the sweatiest, most rocking shows where it sort of felt like the thing that had been contained in L.A. was now had begun to find its way to other places. I lived in uh, West 142nd and Riverside in Harlem for the first year of my life in very, very humble conditions. So to be able to come back to that city again and again and again to play some great rock shows and folk shows and punk shows and whatever has been a real highlight. May I riff off this to say that, are you familiar with the term palimpsest? No. Okay, so this is spelled P-A-L-I-M-P-S-E-S-T. And it's like an anthropological term, I'm pretty sure. It originates from back in the day before there was paper. They just had these like stone tablets where you write something and then to reuse it, you kind of just have to write over the old stuff. Okay. And so a palimpsest is a cultural artifact in which many layers of communication are layered physically on top of one another. And you describing what New York City is to you, it's like this crazy palimpsest. That's what yes. it made me think is like, <laughs> right? Your first like rage show where you're you're seeing that this thing is happening yes, and it's yeah. spreading. And then like mm-hmm. you're collaborating and joining other artists yep. that, and yep. being a part of their thing. And then you're doing your thing. And like yep. these different areas of your life, you're like layering the story. Yes. New York, for all these reasons, is a, is a really big one for you because you've done so many different things. So that's really yes. cool. Yeah, your next city, city number two for you. City number two, I'm going to talk about Washington, D.C. Now, here's the whole thing about Washington, D.C. Growing up, I thought, Washington, D.C., it's the nation's capital. Probably a boring place, okay? I don't know. I don't really know what's going on here. You know, probably everybody works for the government. And by the way, my sister works for the government, and my sister's wonderful and very interesting. (laughs) So it's okay to work for the government. Yeah, yeah. But... What I found is that D.C. goes so hard for me every time I come to town. And the first show I ever played in Washington, D.C. was at D.C. 9. The stage is about one inch off the ground. Like, it is not a stage. It's just a floor next to the other floor. And I remember being like, it was one of the first cities where all of my expectations were completely shattered. I had this idea Mm. of what D.C. would be like. Yeah, yeah. And then... That was totally upended. And of course, DC is home to the legendary 930 Club, which is one of the most famous venues in the United Mm -hmm. States. I actually just played a sold out show there. And it was one of the best shows of my life. And a reminder to me that often in a city, when you have a dominant normative, and I'm going to use this term very loosely, like straight culture. I don't even mean sexuality. Just Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Lobbyist culture. Yes, yes. A (laughs) lot <laughs> Lol. Okay, lobbyist culture. Um, alongside that grows the counterculture. Sure. And I think DC is a city where I always really feel that, that the energy, and I know there's like, there's a great punk history in DC yes. and like lots of bands that have come up there as kind of in response to this. But I always feel like when I go to DC, I'm interacting with that and I'm interacting like very much with people who aren't 
aligned with the system and the system is so present there that you really are able to see that. And so I love that about, I don't know what you've, what your experience in DC has been like, but like, I've just, my expectations were totally shattered. Like, yeah. uh, the first time I played there. Yeah, well, I mean, I've, I had the good fortune to play at the 930 Club, both the, the old 930 Club and then the one that you played at uh, oh. uh, as well. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's punk history is there and it and stands in such sharp juxtaposition to the lobbyist culture that it is a place where, it was one of those places sort of like Salt Lake City or somewhere where you kind of go, oh my gosh, it's, it's going to be one way and you go, oh no, the people right. that are trapped here <laughs> are, you know, are just ready to spring they are ready to spring so uh that's an excellent one. i'm gonna go for my number two is a place known as johannesburg south africa i was getting all fired up as a teenager about political things the racist apartheid regime was in sort of full tilt in south africa and so i tried to at one point sort of volunteer for the anc for the military wing of the anc like i was all wound up about south africa and so to be able to play there and to visit soweto during i was there with bruce springsteen be able to um to visit soweto where so much of, i visit you know nelson mandela's house and the place where 200 kids were massacred outside of school and then that night to go with this interracial band the east street band into an interracial racial venue, which was the Olympic soccer stadium is where we played. So it's, you know, to have that really rich day there made that one of the most meaningful shows of my life. Yeah, that's insane. Like you are participating in a reflection of this giant political yes, cultural right. change. Before the E Street Band goes on stage every night, you know, we sort of gather together and Bruce, you know, everybody holds hands and Bruce gives some sort of inspirational speech. And before we went on stage, he said, Morello, I want you to give the speech today. And it was pretty heavy. That's so cool. Okay, well, I don't really... See, <laughs> that's no, a hard see, one see, to follow. Well, it's, hard. It's, <laughs> it's a free-flowing conversation. And I want yes. you to go up to your number three. And yeah. I will say, what is kind of cool is, like, obviously, you've been to more places in this world and more people go to your shows than come to mine. But I think it's interesting to think... One of the things I love about touring is, like, everybody's in their different niche and world and you just get a different, you have different observations and experiences as a consequence of that. The next city I'm going to put up on the list is Prague, Czech Republic. I played there. I opened for Imagine Dragons there. So we played like a big arena show. And then I came back like a couple years later and played a club show. And it was, I think for me, I've had a few experiences in my life where I've gone, maybe similar to like your first New York experience that you were talking about, where I've gone to a place and assumed no one would come or know what was happening. Right, right. Because of a million things like language barrier, general, just everyone's so inundated with things like who knows if anyone hears anything. And so I kind of just assumed no one would be at the show. Like I was like kind of worried about it. And we showed up and my, my manager, Seth, was like, oh, it's sold out. And I was like, what? I can't even believe anyone's going to this event. <laughs> yeah, why is there one person there, let alone <laughs> all, why are all of them there? I think for me, there have been certain cities, perhaps just selfishly, that have been so fun to play because I was utterly gobsmacked yes. that, that even one individual had shown up. I think for me, that's just a reminder that when you put anything out into the world, you just don't know where it's going to go and that's how right. it's going to land. And that's right. So long as you are grateful for the moments when it does land and 
have enough like levity and humility to understand how it may not. It's just like, to me, touring, you just get to see it because you're out there. Like, right, right, right. People come or they don't. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Prague was just, you know, it's a beautiful, it's a wonderful city to walk through um, and explore. It's a beautiful place. The people were so lovely. And then it was just this reminder to me just of this, the sheer sort of randomness and wonderfulness of this job. Yeah, and how surprising it can be to be so far away from home with zero expectation and to have it be this really life-affirming moment in a beautiful city. You know, it's, it's Totally, awesome. with, it's with awesome. crazy language barrier, too. Yeah, like, yeah, I can't yeah, talk yeah, to yeah. anyone, you know? Right, right, right. And yet they know the, they're, they're able to at least <laughs> parrot the lyrics, you know? I'm Tom Morello, and you're listening to Maximum Firepower. My guest is K-Flay as we discuss the top 10 cities in the world in which to rock. All right, so my number three is the city in which I live in right now, Los Angeles. And much like New York City, it is a city. What was the word you used about the writing? Uh, on a top palimpsest. Of it's a palimpsest times all the palimpsests. Um, <laughs> because I moved here in, you know, 1986, trying to join a spandex-clad heavy metal band and no one would have me because I, I did not fit the bill. You know, to playing hundreds of shows at clubs like the Coconut Teaser and, you know, being part of a rock club scene pursuing this kind of gold rush like dream to then playing a bunch of shows at the LA Forum. You know, I went to go see all the Laker games and the love that this city, you know, my adopted city has shown for all of my bands through the years has been, just been incredible. But those are like sort of the rock connection moments, but like the really deeply meaningful moments of playing in Los Angeles have been the shows that I've played like on Skid Row, the shows that I've played in Vaughn's parking lots for striking workers and things like that. Like, and there's been hundreds of those shows and to have all that experience within the um, bounds of Los Angeles makes it one that I chose to put on my list today. Los Angeles is a super palimpsest. And, yes. <laughs> I, and I would argue on the flip side, I don't know if you feel this way. I had this the other day cause I was at a show I go to so many shows in LA, mm, sure. yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah, so yeah. not only am I a performer in the city yeah. and not only do I live here and I'm just out here doing what I do, I also go see my friends play yes, and I go to yes. shows. So I'm yes. an audience member. I have like audience memories at Vegas. Yes, yeah. My uh, fourth city is, I had to get Midwest energy in here. My city is Minneapolis. Minneapolis is the home of Rhymesayers. Uh, which is a label, it's like an indie hip hop label. And so there's there's kind of always been like atmosphere is big Minneapolis band. And um, so historically it's a place where like kind of left of center, hip hop adjacent stuff mm -hmm. is appreciated, does well, whatever. And so it was a city early on for me, especially with like my first record, where I think people kind of understood what I was trying to do and appreciated it and liked it. And um, again, a very iconic club there is called first avenue that's where i play when i go there we just played there a couple weeks ago had an amazing show but the memory i wanted to share is that i played minneapolis the day after donald trump was elected i played chicago the night he was elected and you know we got to minneapolis you know i woke up there and like walked along the river and was just like you know, I think many of us were having feelings of just sort of like utter disbelief and, and sadness. And normally a show, it's catharsis. But this was like also just togetherness. It felt like this is a place where we can 
we can just be together. And yeah, it yeah, kind of yeah, felt yeah. like a, you know, like sort of a church, like. Yes. Yeah. 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 A therapeutic moment where like, at least we're not alone in our ennui in this crazy moment of, you yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I've had a lot, you know, many, many wonderful experiences there, but that really kind of always stood out to me. And I felt really lucky that I got to be on tour and like with strangers and that First Avenue, you know, is, is, of course, where Purple Rain was filmed. And so every time we're on, anytime anybody's on that stage, I always want to be like, you know, bring out the fog machines and, <laughs> and get, get me a piano to gyrate on. I <laughs> yes, I, I have not gyrated on a piano. <laughs> on yet. a piano there, yeah. But that energy is in the room, whether we like it or not. All right. So my fourth choice is a city called Santiago, Chile. And it is for a simple reason. And that is that it is the craziest audience in the world all the time by a significant margin. Like it's, like, like, like it's I've only, I've played there now three times, I think. And each time it's like looking out at something CGI in a way that you'd say, we can't use that in the film because it's, it's unrealistic that people would behave in such a way at a concert. <laughs> the first time, and again, it's a place that I have like sort of political connections to, like Victor Hara, the great sort of Chilean troubadour who was murdered by the Pinochet regime in Santiago Stadium, you know, like I visited his grave and, you know, spent some time with his widow there. And, and I don't know if you remember, this was the, the first time I played there, there were these Chilean miners who were trapped for a month or months or something like that. And it was yes. a desperate situation. They were going to be safe. It, now everyone knew they figured it out. They're coming up tomorrow. So our the raid show was that night and they're going to be all rescued. Everyone knows for sure it's going to go well tomorrow. And so in Santiago Stadium, we played the Victor Hara song, Song for a Miner. And every, so everyone knew what was happening right, and everyone right. knew all the different vectors that had come together for the first ever Rage Against the Machine performance in Santiago. And you just can't believe it. Like, as I said, how could tens of thousands be sustain that sort of level, that aerobic level of intensity? <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, that's an amazing story. And I think like one of my favorite things that bands or performers do when they come to a city is make a real effort to engage with the culture and understand it and like pay homage to it. And I think like you mentioned ennui earlier. I mean, that that's one of the great the ultimate foes out on the road, right? Yes, it's like yeah. ennui and then, oh, hey, there's a case of beers. Well, here's yes. a nice way to, yes. to handle my ennui. Yes, and, yeah. and like, J Jacksonville, Florida and Paris, France become the same city. Right. <laughs> they do. When you like, that's It's possible. I've seen it. I've seen that happen, yeah. My final city. I'm going to go ahead and say that at least for the last five years of my personal career, the craziest audience, the Santiago of the United States yeah. <laughs> is Denver, Colorado. Okay. Partially, I have to think it has, has to do with the altitude. You know, being in Colorado Springs and Denver is kind of like, it's harder. I mean, maybe, yes. I don't know if people yes. listening really know this, but like, yeah. If you play a show like an aerobic show, which like I certainly do, you're feeling it. I mean, there's a reason Olympic athletes yeah. train in Colorado Springs. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's because it's extremely difficult. You know, yeah. it's f it's five thousand plus feet up. You know, it's very different yes. from rocking at sea level. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. and it, and it's like it really does affect your yeah. your aerobic capacity. And yeah. so maybe it's like a mix of 
that and that changes the energy of things. And, you know, I have just found for whatever set of reasons, Denver is wild. Yeah. They're just like, they do not give a fuck. Like, if you were to ask me, no one is self-conscious in Denver. (laughs) (laughs) That's a gift. That is a great gift. I can really count on people to be totally uninhibited and totally engaged. And I really, as a performer, it's always a relief when you get up there and you're just like, oh, these people are insane. Yeah. Relief is a good word. Like you just like, oh, the switch goes on and whatever, right. whatever like this show's anxiety you might be. Great. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> From the um, get-go. Denver just comes through. It's been very, very good to K-Flight. Denver has been good to me and I and I appreciate it. Uh, my final city is Sweet Home Chicago. I'm not going to mince words. Playing in venues where you saw your formative shows, that connection, there's really nothing like it. I mean, that is that is literally like little boys' dreams coming true. I love that. And observation, just listening to your stories, such what is coming through for me is that these cities, there's such a strong sense of history, both personal yeah. history yes. in terms of your touring career, but yes. also like this broader understanding that you are participating in the cumulative culture of a place Mm -hmm, and history mm -hmm. of a place. And that is a really, one of the things I love about playing shows is that you're not doing a tourist activity. Yeah. 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 (laughs) You're doing something that people who live there. Yes. Yes. And it's such a unique way to experience the world is that instead of like, you're not sightseeing, you're, you're actually doing a thing that locals do. And so there's a way in which I feel like, you kind of automatically get embedded into that sense of place and the public record. I mean, it's, it's pretty overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty special. It's pretty special. Like there, when I lived in Libertyville, I had a very complicated love-hate relationship with the community. And a- as a kid, there were there were some racist incidents. I was the only black kid in town for the first beginning years of my, my family's time there. And uh, at one, when I was 15 years old, there was a place called Brown's Chicken. They had a parking lot. And I was just walking back from somewhere. And there were these two dudes in the parking lot. And they swung a noose at me. And they said some bad words that you might use directed towards the only black kid in town. And they invited me to get in the trunk of their car. That was bad. It was a bad afternoon. So anyway, cut to <laughs> cut to 30 years later. And Libertyville has the, I was the grand marshal it was invited to be the Grand Marshal of the Libertyville Days Parade, the highest civilian honor afforded to a, 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 a current or past resident. And, you know, at first I thought, like, that's just so goofy. I thought, you know what, it just as a lark, you know, I would I would do this right. thing. So it's my, my wife and kids were sitting in the convertible, you know, there's flags and candy in the street, and it's really just sort of like a nice break. But then we roll by the Brown's Chicken parking lot, and now there's no mean dudes there this time. Instead, there are residents in lawn chairs, like, you know, we love you, Tommy, or, you know, you know, rock and roll, Tommy. And it's just like, it was a crazy, this thing that I kind of did as a lark became this kind of like deeply emotional moment, like, you know, about the complicated relationship I have with that town and its residents past and present. But anyway, that was the, uh, well, that Brown's chicken parking lot, um, (laughs) which this is going to be the theme word of our thing. Talk about a palimpsest. Talk about a palimpsest. Yeah. You know, basically being, assaulted and abused in this like an extremely unjust way. And then you come back and you're being celebrated for your life's work and what you symbolize to people. Like it's weird that you were being assaulted because of what you symbolized and then exalted 
yes. for what you symbolize. And that's like, whatever, that's a mind fuck. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I could have possibly framed that, but it was, but I remember it was sort of a rainy, and as, and as, the, as the convertible sort of turned off the parade route, you know, the kids are eating candy, I'm just kind of going, whoa. <laughs> like, like, that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. Well, Christine, I cannot thank you enough. Like, what a what a lovely global exploration of uh, top ten rock cities it has been. Thank you, and so it's just it's lovely always at any time speaking with you. And I'm glad that you are out rocking, and I hope that our paths cross either here in LA or out on the road of rock. I feel the exact same way. Thank you for having me on the show. Literally, I'm around. So anytime yeah, you want to have too. me on the uh, yeah, show, uh, okay, we right. have you over to your house. Anytime, you know. I would I would love that. Let's create some palimpsests somewhere in this town at some point. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I believe it at that. <laughs> All right, thanks very much. Okay, Cheers. thanks, Tom. Okay, bye. Have a great day, Christine. Bye. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. I'm Tom Morello. This has been Maximum Firepower. Until next time, brothers and sisters, take it easy, but take it. Let foes of justice tremble. This has been Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. Hear this episode again or listen to past shows right now on the SiriusXM app. Search Maximum Firepower. <laughs>